Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, good morning, guys. Great to see you. Uh, fantastic. Um, I was thinking back to my, um, my childhood uh, earlier in this week, and I don't know if any of you have um, ever been into optical illusions, um, but there was a fad when I was growing up um, and I was younger of these little books which came out, and they were just full of these optical illusions. I've got a picture of the kind of thing that, that might have been in one here. And uh, it's a strange-looking thing, isn't it? It's the kind of thing you, that you've got the page of the book or you've got the, the poster on the wall and you'd put your nose about this far away from it and you'd stare at it and you'd stare at it and you'd stare at it and then you'd slowly back away and you would hope that somewhere from the midst of this mess of random bits of colours and swirls and lumps and bumps, a beautiful picture might emerge just for a second or two and then it would disappear and fade away again, wouldn't it? I don't know if you, you grew up doing that kind of thing, but I certainly remember them um, when I was, I was younger. Um, I didn't think we could probably get your noses an inch or so away from that to make it work this morning. So I've got a few other different kinds of optical illusions we can have a look at together, which are a bit more easy to make sense of from a distance. Um, so have a look at this one. What is it that you see? How many of you see a, a young woman? Put your hand up if you see a young woman. Okay, and any of you see an old woman? Any of you see both? Okay, okay, interesting, very good. Have a look at the next one, this one's a little bit simpler. If you're looking to the left, then you see a duck, and if he's looking to the right, then you'll see a rabbit. Um, And the next one, I quite like this one. So if you look at the white, you'll see a woman's face. But if you look at the black, then you see a kind of a cartoon saxophonist with a bit of a cloud kind of floating lazily by. But my favourite one that we're going to look at this morning is this next one. What do you see now? A frog? Yeah. I see a frog and nothing but a frog. It could only possibly be a frog. But if we go into the next one, flip it round and it becomes a horse. And I think that's just fantastic. And... Um, and again, you just, if you look at that at a glance, you'd never even begin to see the frog, I don't think. It just is so obviously a horse. You can see it now when you know that it's there, but if you see the horse in the first place, <laughs> then it's a different matter. And I think it's, it's amazing, isn't it, how the way that you look at something changes what you see. The way that you look at something changes what you see. Here's a letter that was sent home by a daughter who was studying at college. She sent it to her parents, and this is what she writes. She writes, Dear Mum and Dad, I'm sorry to be so long in writing again, but all my writing paper was lost the night the student halls were burned down by protesters. I'm out of the hospital now, and the doctor says my eyesight should be back to normal sooner or later. The wonderful boy Bill who rescued me from the fire, kindly offered to share his little apartment with me until the halls are rebuilt. He comes from a good family, so you won't be too surprised when I tell you that we're to be married. In fact, you always wanted a grandchild, so you'll be glad to know that you will be grandparents next month. Would you like to receive that letter as a parent? She goes on and says, please disregard the above practice in English composition. There was no fire. I haven't been in the hospital. I'm not blind. I'm not pregnant. And I don't even have a boyfriend. But I did get a D in French and an F in chemistry. And I wanted you to be sure you received this news in its proper perspective. (laughs) Love from Mary. 
You know, to be able to see things in their proper perspective is so important, isn't it? You know, the perspective with which we view our circumstances and the situation uh, that go on around us in life and the things which people say to us, the perspective with which we see them determines the way it is that we will respond to them. You know, the perspective that we have determines what we see and what we see determines how we will respond. So it's so important that we view things in their proper perspective. Because the way that you look at your circumstances, the way that you look at the things which are going on in your life determines the choices that you will make. It determines the decisions that you will make. It determines you know, whether you will re- react to things and respond to things as they truly are, or actually whether you will be seeing a slimy frog instead of a beautiful horse. If you are responding to a mess of colour instead of the picture which is really forming in the background. No, it's so important that the decisions that we make are based on what is true and not just the way that things appear to be. And we started in a new series here the last week called Inspiring Influence. And, and John introduced the series by talking about how each and every one of us have opportunities to be inspiring influences among our friends and our family, our work colleagues and our communities, wherever we might be. How we each have opportunities to shine like lights in the darkness, to be attractive, to draw people to us. And as people are drawn to us for them to see something of the greatest light of all, for them to see something of Jesus and begin to discover who he is. You know, but as we see in the, in the slide that we've got here, you know, there's the potential as we come alongside others and we allow our light to be an inspiring influence that they too have the potential to catch on fire. They too have the potential to start to burn. They too have the potential to, as they discover something more of who Jesus is, to begin to be an inspiring influence and to shine with a light of who he is too. You know, and to be an inspiring influence, it's an opportunity that you have today. It's an opportunity that you have through this week, through this year. It's an opportunity that you have for the rest of your life. But if you are going to be an inspiring influence, if you are going to shine and allow your life to make a positive impact, then it's so important that you begin from a place where you see your life in its proper perspective. Where your decisions are based on the truth. And not just how things maybe appear to be. You know, it sounds so obvious and simple, but actually it's not always easy. Now, to help us grapple this morning with how we can keep things in their proper perspective and see things as they really are, we're going to look together at the life of a man called Joseph. Now, it's, it's just after Christmas, so I don't want to cause any confusion. We're not talking about Joseph, the husband of Mary. Um, the Joseph that we're going to look at, in fact, is a man who lived thousands of years before Jesus was born. And uh, we're going to read about it in, in the book in the Bible called Genesis. Now, the story of Joseph that we find in Genesis takes us from when he was 17 to when he was in his 30s. Um, so we get to see a good chunk of his life. And what we discover as we read the story is that there are times in Joseph's life when he finds himself in circumstances that are so horrific and so difficult and so you know, beyond what you would desire for yourself that actually whatever it is that you are going through right now in life, you will be happy that you were there. But there were also times in Joseph's life 
when he goes through periods where he is so wealthy and he is so powerful that all of the wealth and the power and the blessings and the resources and the things that you might think you are enjoying in life just begin to pale in comparison and are dwarfed by everything that Joseph has in that particular season. So Joseph's life is one of extremes. And yet throughout his life, whatever it is that he is facing, whatever it is that he is going through, he always seems to be able to keep things in their proper perspective. He always seems to be able to make decisions and to live his life based upon the truth. For those of you who aren't familiar with the story of Joseph, I was first introduced to, to Joseph when he's 17 years old. He's the second youngest of about a dozen sons, and, and the first thing that we learn about him is that he's a bit of a telltale. He likes to get his brothers into trouble. The second thing that we learn about him is that he's his father's favourite. It's pretty clear his dad never went on the parenting course. He doesn't understand that showing obvious favouritism is always going to be a recipe for trouble. And so he gives Joseph this beautiful robe to declare to everyone who would care to look, he is my favourite of them all. It's a recipe for conflict, isn't it? Can you imagine having this younger sibling who always gets what they want, and yet still seems to derive this pleasure from making your life hard and getting you in trouble. It's never going to end well, is it? And then to add insult to injury, Joseph has two dreams. A little heads up here. If you ever have dreams like these, don't go out and tell the people who are in them, okay? They probably won't take kindly to it. But Joseph did exactly that. He goes and he tells his brother, and he said how in one dream they were all out together gathering sheaves of grain and wheat. And then all um, of the other great sheaves of grain and wheat, all of the, the sheaves that the brothers had gathered, start to bow down to Joseph's chief. And then he says in this other dream in which he saw the sun and the moon and these 11 stars and all of them gathered around and started bowing down to Joseph. You can imagine the brother's response, can't you? They're already pretty hacked off with Joseph as it is. And you can imagine them saying something to Joseph like, it is not enough that you're already the favourite and you get everything that you want. But now you actually want to go further. Now you think that you should be in charge and you think that for some strange reason we should all come along and bow down to you. You think that even mum and dad should bow down to you. Who do you think you are? You're so full of yourself. What makes you think that we would ever bow down to you. And somehow, this is the trigger. And the brothers shift from just having an annoying little brother to allowing hate to begin to grow within their hearts. And then there's this one time when the brothers are all off looking after the sheep and Joseph's been left at home, but his dad decides he's going to send him out to check up on them. You know, he's the telltale, so he'll go make sure they're doing all right and he'll come back and tell the tales. But he goes off and Joseph finds that they're not where they're meant to be. So he asks for some directions and he goes, the guy tells him where he is. He manages to track them down. The guys see Joseph coming in the distance. They spot him there and they think, oh, great, here he comes. And they just, you can imagine them there just starting to moan and to talk amongst themselves and to, to say to themselves, what are we going to do about Joseph? What is it that we can do to sort this out? And they begin, as they're talking and they're thinking about it, things start to escalate and they think, well, nobody knows where we are. We're not where we're meant to be. We could, we'll, we'll, we'll just kill him and we'll, we'll throw his body in a pit and nobody will have a clue. Nobody will ever know. And we will, we'll just go home and we'll finally be free of daddy's favourite. 
But the oldest brother, Reuben, he manages to persuade them that it would be a better idea. Let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in the pit and we'll leave him there and we'll see what happens. So they do that. Great picture. They've thrown him in the pit. They've stripped him of his clothes. Joseph's in there shouting to be let out and they sit down and have lunch. Right next to him. They're casually having lunch and when all of a sudden they get some, think of something that would be even, even better, a better option comes along. There's this caravan of traders that they see approaching. And one of the brothers, Judah, suddenly has this brilliant idea. He thinks, I know how we can not only be rid of Joseph, but we can make a bit of money on the side as well. And so as this caravan comes along, they decide that they're going to sell Joseph to these traders. And so, in the course of a day, this young 17-year-old boy, who is used to being the favourite, who is used to having everything he could ever want, who is used to, to being the pride and joy within his family of having servants and slaves of his own, is stripped of everything that he owns, thrown into a pit and left to die, and then by some twist of events ends up being sold into slavery and taken to Egypt. You know, as he travels as a slave to Egypt, what do you think might have been going through Joseph's mind? You can imagine him thinking, what on earth does the future hold now? What kind of master am I going to end up serving? What kind of jobs am I going to end up having to do? Why is all of this happening to me? What's going on, God? Where are you? You know, there appears to be nothing good and nothing redeeming about what is happening to Joseph. You know, and it might be that when you look at your own circumstances this morning, when you look at your job situation, or your family, or your health, you look at it and you think there is nothing good, and there is nothing redeeming. And you ask yourself, why is this happening to me? What's going on, God? Where are you? This is Joseph's situation right now. But the amazing thing is that even though Joseph may have had all of those questions racing through his head, when he arrives in Egypt and he's bought by this man called Potiphar, this is what we read next in Genesis 39, verses 2 to 6. It says, The Lord was with Joseph, so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all of that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. You see, if Joseph had allowed himself to make decisions and to make choices and to shape his life around how things appeared to be on face value, he would be making his decisions and his choices from the starting point of assuming that God had abandoned him. because of all of the bad things that were happening. That would have been the perspective from which he viewed and made sense of everything that was going on in his life. But the truth is, 
The reality is that as we read in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And I think Joseph realized that. I think he held on to the truth that God was with him. I think he held on to the promises that God had given to him through the dreams. And because he held on to the truth of what the promises that God had given him, of the truth of the fact that God was with him, he allowed that truth to shape the way that he lived as a slave. It shaped the attitude that he had. It shaped his behavior. It shaped the decisions that he made, the choices that he made. And everything that was then built upon the foundation of this one truth. God is with me. He lived his life as someone who was confident that no matter what happened to him, or what went on around him, God was always with him. The creator of the universe was with him. The one who had power over everything was with him. And so Joseph, he doesn't spiral into a panic. He doesn't lose control. He doesn't start to, to allow himself to become consumed with bitterness and anger at everything which is going wrong and all that's happened to him. Instead, he makes his decisions and he goes about his life in the confidence that God is with him and that God is for him. And I think viewing life from this perspective is what made Joseph an inspiring influence. Because what we read next in verse 3 is that Potiphar recognises there's something different. There's something special about Joseph. He sees something in Joseph as he shines with the light of God in the midst of the darkness of everything which is going on. And so Potiphar, this Egyptian who knows nothing of who God is, He's got no clue. Sees that the Lord was with Joseph. This guy who has no background at all in terms of who God is, looks at Joseph and says, God must be with you. Because the Lord gives you success in everything you do. You know what, I think this is huge. Because the truth is that when we learn to respond to our circumstances as people who are confident that whatever is happening to us, whatever it is that we're facing, it doesn't change the truth that God is with us. We will shine with a light in the midst of the darkness and people will sit up and they will take notice. Now Joseph, he didn't try and change his circumstances. He didn't try and run away and find a way home. He didn't just try and hide where he was and just put his head down and wait for everything to change. He simply lived out his life in that setting as a man who was confident that God was with him. That God was for him. And he allowed that to shape his attitude. He allowed that to shape his decisions and every choice that he made. And Potiphar noticed. You know, whether you realize it or not, People are always watching you. It's a scary thought, isn't it? But it's true. People are always watching you. And I don't mean big brother. Your family, your friends, your work colleagues, your schoolmates, they all take note of the decisions that you make. They all take note of what it is that you choose to prioritize. They all take note of what it is that you spend your time doing and your money on of the way that you talk about people when they're not around. People take note of it. 
And I think they take an even greater interest in it, in how you'll respond in all of those different things when things get tough and when things are hard and life isn't easy. You know, over the years I've seen people who have faced all kinds of, of different challenges and I watch them and I think they're amazing. I've watched people and thought, how is it that you can walk through these challenges? How is it that you can, can walk through you know, the valley of the shadow of death in complete peace? How is it that you, can, you really don't seem to fear any evil? Why is it that you seem secure despite your circumstances? And the reason is that I've been privileged to know, as I'm sure some of you have too, people who have understood like Joseph. That as we read in Psalm 23, I need to fear no evil. I don't have to fear difficult circumstances because God is with me. And so they simply allow their perspective They simply ensure that they view what is going on in life from the vantage point of the truth that God is with them. And every decision that they make, every attitude that they have, every choice, every word is shaped by that one truth. That they are confident that even in the difficult times, God is with them and God is for them. I wasn't planning on sharing about this, but I I knew a a young man um, called Clive Potter many years ago, and um, up in Manchester. He wasn't in Manchester himself, he was over in Wales, but he was part of the network of churches we were part of, and um, he was um, about 23 at the time, and, and he got cancer. Um, and we gathered together, and the churches were praying for him, and he went into remission. Um, and then he was, he was due to be married, and then he got cancer again. And two weeks before his wedding day, he died. It was a horrific time, but every time I met Clive, he was a man who shone with peace. He was a man who shone with a a confidence that God was with him, that he didn't need to fear the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't need to fear any evil. Others might have been worried for him, but he just shone because he knew that God was with him. And I think that's the way that Joseph approached this time of, of slavery. You know, but sadly, Joseph becoming a slave wasn't the extent of his difficulties. For those of you who know his story, you'll know that. You know, having just managed to find his feet and, and come to a place of favour, the next bombshell hits and changes everything. Apparently, Joseph was a, was a good-looking guy. And so Potiphar's wife decides to try and seduce him. And even though Joseph says no, she doesn't pay any notice of it and she tries it again and again and again and again. And she keeps on trying. And then there's, while Joseph stands firm, there's this one time she tries it on. Joseph says no. And then he, he just tries to run away and to flee from the place and she grabs hold of his cloak and she, she has it there. Joseph says, I'm not prepared to betray Potiphar. I'm not prepared to... You know, he goes even further. It's amazing. He says, in this situation, he's facing Potiphar's wife and he's facing this temptation. He doesn't just say, I'm not going to betray my master who's done so much good to me. He says, I'm not prepared to sin against God who is with me. Even in the midst of that temptation, isn't it incredible that he makes his decision shaped by the fact that God was with him? Absolutely incredible. But there's this one time where Potiphar's wife has grabbed his cloak. Joseph just keeps on running. But Potiphar's wife has had enough of being rejected. 
She's had enough of this upstart slave thinking that he's somehow morally superior to her. And so she screams and she tells the servants that Joseph has just tried to rape her. Potiphar comes along. What's he going to do? What can he do? What choice has he got? And so Potiphar throws Joseph into prison. So Joseph, having already been betrayed by his brothers, is now unjustly thrown into prison for the one thing that he wasn't willing to compromise and do. It's another one of those moments, isn't it, where everything within you would be tempted to just throw your hands in the air and say, God, what is going on? Why do I bother trying to live my life for, for, for you? Trying to be this person of integrity and resist temptation when this is what I get for it. But it's amazing what we read next in Genesis 39, verses 20 to 23. It says, it says, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. We see the cycle happen again. There in the middle of what seems like the worst possible circumstances, we read that God is with Joseph. And we see that Joseph, he doesn't sulk. He doesn't complain. He doesn't allow his bitterness to come in. Instead, he just continues to live his life, continues to make his decisions, to continues to allow himself to be shaped by the same peace and security of being absolutely confident that God is with him. And guess what? The prison warden notices. Joseph shines in that dark place as he's being watched. He shines as different because he lives his life in that way. You know, I think if I was in Joseph's position, having faced everything that he already had, I would be so tempted to give up at this point. Don't know about you. But the truth is that it's only when we put our trust in God's promise to always be with us, and that we look for him, even in the midst of those hard times, even in the midst of those difficult circumstances that we face, that we then find him in that place. And we discover the peace and the hope of knowing that God is with us in the midst of whatever it is that we are facing. The thing is that as, as hard as it can sometimes um, be, sometimes it's actually easier to depend on God, easier to look for God, easier to know God with us and to trust in him when we feel that things are hard that it is when we feel like everything's okay and we've got everything that we need. You know, when we feel that we have everything, when there's nothing that we feel worried about and we feel like we're in control and that life is good, it can be so easy to lose perspective. It can be so easy to lose sight of the truth that God is with us. We simply start to forget God because we feel like we don't need him. We don't have time to go into all of the ins and outs and the details of how Joseph gets there, but one of the great things with Joseph is that we see that it doesn't matter if he's at the bottom of a pit or if he's on top of the mountain. It doesn't matter if he's being sold into slavery or if he's just been appointed to rule over an entire kingdom. 
Joseph just continues consistently to view his circumstances from that right, proper perspective. From a position of confidence in the truth that God is with him, that God is for him, and that he is entirely dependent on God. You know, later in life, um, Joseph, he gets to come before Pharaoh. He's, he's been in prison for a few years at this point. Years have gone by. But he gets his opportunity to come before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh asks him for help. He has this one great golden opportunity to gain some status, to make himself look good, to, to, to kind of have uh, the, the Pharaoh look at him with favor and, and the one man who can free him from prison. You know, imagine yourself, you've, if you get invited to an interview for your dream job, the thing that you've always wanted. You've got this one golden opportunity to sell yourself, to say, yes, I'm the one that you want. But do you know what his answer is to Pharaoh? Chapter 41, verse 16, Joseph says, I can't help you. Fancy going into an interview like that? I'm not the man. But he says, my God can. I can't help you, but my God can. He has incredible courage to publicly stand in front of the most powerful man in the world of that time. A man who actually believes himself to be a God. And to turn round to him and say, you don't know nothing. But my God, the real God, he can help you. He can tell you what your dreams mean. Joseph shines as someone who is entirely dependent on God and fully confident, even in a situation where you'd think he would be intimidated, that his God is with him. And that's what shapes the way that he responds. Then after Pharaoh appoints him to rule over the whole of Egypt, Joseph has two sons. And in this season when he has everything, in this season when he is more wealthy and powerful than you can even begin to imagine, he chooses to give his sons names that will ensure he is constantly reminded that God is with him and that he is entirely dependent on God. And um, so he, he comes to his first son and he names his first son Manasseh. And he says, I'm naming you Manasseh because God has made me forget all my troubles. It was a constant reminder of what God had brought him from and what God had brought him to. Then he gets to his second son, he says, I'm going to name you Ephraim because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. You can imagine him, can't you, as his dad. Every time his, his sons run up to him and he bends down and he gives them a cuddle and he, he says to them, Ephraim, Manasseh, I love you. This reminder God has made me forget my troubles. God has, has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. You can imagine every time he calls out to them to come to him, this declaration, God, you are with me. God, it is all because of you. God, I am entirely dependent on you. This constant reminder in this season of plenty, in this season when he has everything, in this season when it would be so easy to forget, to name the two people who he's going to be shouting after more than any others, Manasseh, Ephraim, God, God is with me. It's amazing how this man, even when he is blessed with power and wealth, continues to live his life to make his decisions shaped by this one essential truth with the peace and security of knowing that God is with him. And later in life, he meets his brothers again and his brothers are afraid that now that he has all this power, he's going to use it to get revenge. Their dad's died, he's got no, no, they've got no one left to protect them. But Joseph makes an amazing statement that shows us his confidence that through everything, God is with him and that God was at work. And he says, Genesis 50 verse 20, you intended to harm me, 
but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Amazing, isn't it? That he can look back at the horrific things that happened to him and say, everything you intended for harm, God intended for good. He brings good through it. You know, whatever his circumstances, whether he's in the pit or on the mountaintop, Joseph was able to see from the perspective that God was with him, that God was for him, that God was at work for Joseph's good and for his own glory. So what we see in Joseph is a man who I think is a great, inspiring influence. But at the foundation of it all was one simple thing. He lived his life confident that God was with him. And that meant that when he had nothing, when he had everything, you know, when everything seemed to be against him, when he had every reason to be worried and anxious and not know what was going to happen, it meant that when he was faced with the, in, in coming before people and being worried about what they might think of him and trying to appear good and be the best of himself. He was never scared or worried about what people thought of him. He was never fearful about what might happen next. He was never worried about trying to get hold of what it is that he felt he needed or losing what it is that he already had. Because he allowed his view, his perspective of whatever it was that he was facing to be shaped by this great confidence that God was with him. And I think it's that freedom from fear, that secure foundation, that confidence that is the starting point that enables us to be an inspiring influence, to be a shining light, to be different and not worried about being different, to stand out and be attractive to people as we live out our lives, not shaped by circumstances, not looking at things and just taking them on face value as they appear to be, not worried about what people might think of us, not worried about what the world says and how we should respond to things, but shaped by the simple, unchanging truth that God is with us, that he is for us, that he loves us, and that we can trust in him. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know if for you things look bad and confusing, or unfair, or unjust. I don't know if you feel forgotten, or abandoned, or betrayed. I don't know if you feel like you're on top of the world, and like you have everything that you need, and how could you possibly want anything more? Nothing has ever been better. But what I do know is that this morning, God is wanting to encourage you to take your eyes off of your circumstances, whether they be good or bad, and to simply fix your eyes on him. To see your life, your situation, in its proper perspective. From the vantage point of the truth that God is with you, that he is for you, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that you can trust in him. And when you see things from that vantage point, there is always hope. It doesn't mean that suddenly all of your problems are gone. Joseph was in prison for years. But it means that you can have hope 
and faith, knowing that God is with you, that he will never leave you, and that he is at work, even when you can't see it, for your good and for his glory. Now, when Joseph was dropped into a pit, God had a plan. When he was sold into slavery, God had a plan. When he was thrown unjustly into prison, God had a plan. And when he was given power and wealth beyond his imagining, God still had a plan. So I want to encourage you this morning that if you know Jesus today, then his promise to you, you know, in Matthew 28 verse 20, is that he is with you always to the very ends of the age. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, then that incredible relationship with him, that incredible promise to know him with you, no matter what is available to you today. But I also want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to ask yourself, what does it look like in my circumstances, with the blessings and the resources that God has given me, with the challenges and the difficulties that are in front of me, to live my life and to make my decisions as someone who is absolutely confident that God is with them and that God is for them. What does someone in your workplace do if they are confident in that workplace that God is with them? What does someone in your marriage or your family do if they are absolutely confident that God is with them? What does someone whose bank balance is in the red and they don't know how they're going to make ends meet do if they are confident that God is with them? What does someone who is blessed with an abundance, with more than they need, who lacks for nothing do if they are absolutely confident that God is with them? I want you to be encouraged. God is with you. But I want you to be challenged as you go through this week. Tomorrow, as you go about your normal kind of routine. The next time you sit down and plan your budget or you begin to write things into your diary. Ask yourself, as someone who knows the joy of God with me, what is it that I'm going to prioritize with my time? What is it that I'm going to prioritize with my money? What is it that I'm going to, how is it that I'm going to respond to my boss the next time he comes and says something which aggravates me? How is it that I'm going to handle myself in school or in the office? Because it's when we start viewing our circumstances and our conversations and every part of our lives from the perspective that God is with us that suddenly opportunities will jump up everywhere for us to be an inspiring influence, for us to shine as light, for us to stand out as people who are different because God is with us. And people will sit up and they will take notice. Like Potiphar, like the prison warden, they will look at you and they will see something different. They will see something of who Jesus is. I know for some of you today, you might be thinking that all sounds great in principle, but life is hard, and I don't feel like God is there. And if that's you, then as we we finish today, I want to encourage you to come and receive prayer. 
the prayer ministry team would love to pray for you, that you would not only know God's presence with you now, but that you would experience his healing for, for the past times where you've looked and you've thought, where are you, God? That like Joseph, you would be given eyes to see how God has been at work through every different thing in your life to bring about your good and his glory. It might be that if you're honest with yourself, you know God's with you in your head, but it's an intellectual knowledge and it doesn't get through to your heart and shape who it is, that, how you make your decisions and what it is that you do and you need God's help. It might be that you simply you have that, but you need God's help to be bold and courageous and step out and start doing it. And you know that actually you, you fear and you hold back and you don't ha- have the trust to think that God's actually going to carry you forwards and you want someone to pray with you to, uh, to be able to have that boldness to make your decisions from the starting point of knowing that God is trustworthy and that he is with you. And again, if that's you, I just want to encourage you to come and to receive prayer this morning. And Penny, I don't know if you mind just coming and just playing quietly. And um, that would be fantastic. And if the prayer ministry team could just come to the front and be available, uh, that would be great. If you're not going to come and receive prayer, then I want to encourage you to, to just, in your own way, to wait on God. In your own way, just to, to ask God to come and to show you, in my life, where are you? How are you at work? What is it you're doing? And to ask God to show you, God, in my life, how can I live a life which demonstrates the fact that you are with me in what it is that I'm doing? What are the changes? Ask God to show you one single thing, just one thing, one change, one decision, one thing that you can do this week um, that is not the norm that will be a visible demonstration of the fact that God is with me and I trust in him. So Penny's just going to play. I just want to encourage you, wait on God. Allow his spirit just to move amongst you. And if you would like to receive prayer for for anything that we've been talking about today um, or anything else at all, the prayer ministry team would love to pray with you. And they're available here too. Thanks, Penny.